0: Our second reading today comes from the letter to the Hebrews. And this letter, it doesn't explicitly state to whom it was sent, but there's context clues within the scripture that suggest that it was sent to an early Christian community of Jewish converts. And this community has experienced persecution, and they're suffering from doubts within the community. They're tempted to turn away from their new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and to return to Judaism. You know, in some ways, our church can sympathize with the trials of that early Christian community. It would be easy for us to feel that our church is under attack on many fronts, both internal and external. Marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman, it's disregarded as a relic. Respect for human life and all of its forms is under attack. Less than a third of families who identify as Catholic regularly attend mass. There's a recent Pew research study that found that 13% of all adults in the United States are former Catholics. The church itself is still reeling from the effects of the abuse scandal. And almost three quarters of those who identify as Catholic Do not profess a belief in Jesus' true presence in the Eucharist. So we can sympathize with that early Christian community addressed in the letters to the Hebrews. But the divinely inspired words of this epistle, they should resonate with us in the same way that they resonated with them. The letter to the Hebrews paints a stark contrast as it compares the people's worship of God under the Old Covenant. To our worship of God as mediated by our Lord Jesus Christ. When God gave the Jewish people the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, He spoke directly to them. And for the Jewish people, this was a terrifying experience. And so the people of Israel trembled before Mount Sinai, and they begged that God would not speak directly to them again. So afterward, only Moses was allowed to set foot on the mountain. And from that point forward, it was Moses who stood in the gap between the people of Israel and God. He spoke the word of God to the people in the law. And then he spoke to God on behalf of the people of Israel as an intercessor. But this, this isn't the relationship that we have with God. We hear in the letter to the Hebrews that you have not approached that which could be touched, and a blazing fire and gloomy darkness in a storm, and trumpet blast, and a voice speaking words such that those who heard them begged that no message be further spoke to them. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ has mediated a new covenant, brings God and the human family together. And so that's why we hear next in the letter to the Hebrews, No, you have approached Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and countless angels in festival gathering, and the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, and God the judge of all, and the spirits of the just made perfect, and Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks more eloquently than that of Abel. This is the celestial liturgy, the liturgy in heaven where angels and saints worship God. And just three, ver- three verses after where this passage ends, we are invited to this heavenly liturgy. We hear, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. The early Christian community was shaken from without and was threatened by doubt from within. They were reminded, as we are today, that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So then how do we, as church, respond when we are shaken? As Christians, we're called to give everyone a public example of prayer, respect, and joy. And our highest form of prayer is the Mass. St. John Paul II described the Mass as heaven on earth. And he explained that what we celebrate here on earth is a mysterious participation in the heavenly liturgy. So when we are invited to worship with reverence and awe, we have been invited to worship here at Mass. When we worship reverently at Mass, we have joined countless angels in festival gathering. We have joined the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. We have joined the spirits of the just made perfect. We worship before God, the Judge of all, and our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are called to give a public example of prayer, respect, and joy. And respect for others is rooted in charity. Our Lord Jesus Christ died for love of us, and we are called to love as he does. St. Paul defines charity as being patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful. Charity is not arrogant or rude. It's not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Not rejoice at wrong but rejoices in right. Charity bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Our reverent worship at Mass makes us present as our Lord's sacrifice is represented at Calvary. And we're able to take our work, our prayers, our married and family life, our daily labor, our mental and our physical relaxation we're able to present them as spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is during Mass that these are offered to the Father, along with our Lord's body. If we worship reverently at Mass, we can also hope for joy. C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to, or even into, the thing that has them. Scripture tells us that God is a consuming fire. We are initiated into our Christian lives through the waters of baptism. So if our happiness lies in drawing close to the thing that has joy, power, peace, eternal life, then we must draw closer to God. And we do this through our worship at Mass. In our earthly liturgy, we share a foretaste of the heavenly liturgy in the holy city of Jerusalem. With all of the angels, we sing a hymn of glory to God. The letter to the Hebrews was written to a community of early Christians shaken by persecution and struggling with doubt. The church today is also shaken. And so we can sympathize with that early Christian community. But we can also take heart in the words of the letter to the Hebrews. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we are called to provide the world with a public example of prayer, respect, and joy. We can draw each of these from our reverent worship at Mass. In the Mass, we unite ourselves with the heavenly liturgy and we anticipate eternal life. The entirety of our Christian life flows from our reverent participation in Mass, and then we're led back home to the Mass after our work in the world. So in the faces of the troubles of the world, let us resolve to reverently worship at Mass so that we can witness to our Lord Jesus Christ through lives of prayer, respect, and joy.